It's the Raven's Realm Podcast, starring Brandon, the Dungeon Master, Kai as Sala, Will as Roostin, Chris as Milo, Ryan as Morazen, Justin as LaCroix, Mike as Gridar, Lonnie as Fletcher, and Mark as Morgoth. Welcome to Raven's Realm, Session Zero. We'll be introducing our players today. Perfect. That was hot. <laughs> I guess we'll start with me and Justin. Do you want you want to start, Justin? Okay, so Chris, I have you and you have me, and we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and we are family, but um I'm supposed to ask you questions and whatnot. So, what is your character's name, and how did you come up with it? Uh, his name is Milo Underhand, and I kind of uh, named Underhand as a play on like Underhill from uh, Lord of the Rings, the fake name that Frodo gives when he stays at the uh, Human Town. The name of it slips my mind, but it was Underhill. So I just changed it to underhand to like kind of explain that he's like um, a criminal or like kind of underhanded type of person. So okay, and then Milo, I don't know where really where it came from. There's like Milo sweet tea. I I kind of got that inspiration from. But yeah, he was my uh, Curse of Strahd character from years ago. Okay, all right. And what is your character's class, and why did you choose that class? Uh, I chose Rogue, and uh, I really just like the thief archetype, or the outlaw archetype, and like in literature and movies and stuff like that. I, I kind of just liked for him to be, you know, like uh, the classic like halfling rogue it is a good combination, and. Uh, it was just kind of an easy choice once I picked Halfling to to be a rogue. I like to be the guy who's like um, checking for traps and looking for treasure and like kind of a dungeon crawl type of character. Yeah, and in combat, how, does he get the any kind of special abilities? Like can he hide or something with the rogue or something like attack and then hide and not be in the front or something? Is that a rogue thing? Yeah, so that's actually like the main feature of the rogue, or the main draw of the rogue is getting that um, sneak attack damage. So you have to like hide first or get advantage somehow, and then you can do sneak attack on top of it, on top of your regular damage. And so that's like a huge thing. You're always trying to get advantage. And um, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. Yeah, yeah. What is your character's... No, wait. Uh, yeah, what is your character's race and why did you choose that? He's a halfling. Um, again, like it just goes with the rogue and the halfling kind of goes together. It just made sense to me. But also like as a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, the ability to play as a hobbit, I really liked. And so uh, I just immediately gravitated to halflings as soon as I started playing D&D because &D, I, I didn't want to play like a human, you know, or, you know, some of the other uh, races just didn't have as much appeal to me. Uh, I like elves. Um I like drow and a uh, bunch of different races, but halfling is like my number one race. So I almost always play a halfling. Nice. Um, so 
as what is your character's background and activities before the start of the adventure? And this is not exact canon yet. This is just kind of like pre-episode ideas, I guess. Or is this kind of like pretty solid what we're talking of for backgrounds and activities and whatnot? I think this is canon as of now, and then we could maybe make some changes later. Because um, I went with criminal background because I wanted to like uh, go have something to do with the thief um, subclass in in rogue, uh, and uh, it seemed like a natural fit to get those um, bonuses that you get as a criminal. But also, like I had a, a story where he was um, kind of rejected, like halfling society. Halflings are very known for like comfort and home and hearth and stuff like that and so um milo like kind of rejected that and like wanted to go out on an adventure and like get into trouble you know like get some excitement in his life yeah exactly exactly he's not a bad guy just misunderstood and he's a little curious you know a little <laughs> yeah. curious <laughs> so yeah he was like he left home and then he got in uh a gang of sorts and then like kind of rose through the ranks in that and like uh that this would be all be like before the campaign so then um eventually like he ends up being the last one of the gang because uh someone like burns down their he headquarters and milo is the only one who escapes so he ends up just running away very cool very very cool is there anything else we should know about Milo before we move on to the next character, I guess? <laughs> hmm. Um, he's 33, which is not super old for a halfling. Um, he's size small. <laughs> so he's like, he's a lower size than uh, the most medium sized creatures. And like, he's also three feet tall. <laughs> and, um, what else? He is really not as much of a jerk as he is on paper. I mean, on paper, he's like always looking for something or whatever is most valuable to steal, but he doesn't really do it like at the expense of the party. Like he yeah. he, he wants to commit crimes, but he's not stupid about it. Yeah, I guess. exactly. He's still, what is it called? Like a chaotic good or something? Or what would his alignment be with that? I made him chaotic neutral just because he's obviously not a lawful person and then neutral I went with just because like I feel like he would based on the situation do the right thing sometimes and then other times maybe not do the morally correct things yeah. so okay so you, you, he's pretty flexible but pretty consistent <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah consistent but not exactly <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you want to tell me about uh, your character now? Okay, so my character's name is LaCroix Dabu. Now, there's an official way of saying Dabu. It's more uh, related to an older game from like the 90s, but it's like Dabu. And that's the way you say his last name. So it's LaCroix Dabu. And that's the official way to say it. Um, I chose LaCroix because of the sparkling water and it sounded like a, a fancy French name to LaCroix. So he went by LaCroix from there on out once he saw it somewhere. That's not his <laughs> birth cool. name. I still not sure what his birth name is yet. <laughs> what about his class? 
Okay, well, he is a bard. I chose bard because it's something I could relate to. It's pretty easy for me to think of a musician with superpowers. It's pretty cool. And I'm a newer player, so I can be comfortable playing the part of bard while learning the game and being pretty comfortable with that at the same time. Cool, that's cool. Uh, what, what features of the bard do you like using? I like the, well, LaCroix is a, a vocalist for a Grimesh metal band. Um, and he typically uses either a bass guitar or his voice whenever he's attacking or doing anything. It's always bass guitar or voice. All right. What about uh, your, your race? Okay, well, LaCroix is half-orc. I knew that from the beginning. I wanted him to be half-orc. I love the idea of orcs. That They're fun. And uh, the half-orc thing was great. And then I found out I wanted your the characters to be cousins, you know, with Milo and LaCroix to be cousins. So I had to figure out a tie-in. So I went with half-hobbit because it's what Milo is, or halfling, right? Or hobbit? Yeah. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so LaCroix is half-orc, half-hobbit. Hobbit, and I just I like the idea of fire and ice or contrast, where it's two different things that make a thing, and it seems really funny to go with a, a half orc, half hobbit because of that. Nice, yeah, I forgot to mention that in mine. Milo and LaCroix are cousins, yeah, it wouldn't have made as much sense, I guess. So it kind of worked out not mentioning it, yeah. What's your background? Okay, well, LaCroix was a successful musician. He was the singer and bassist to the Grimesh band, reveled, reveled in warfare. Their downfall was when Hard Corellan, Corellan, the Elvis trance metal band, literally stole reveled in warfare's sound and made it better. And so he's always kind of bitter. And after that, he kind of left the band to go find his own sound again and he's just been doing kind of avant-garde stuff for the last few years and during those few years is kind of when he ran back into or reconnected and reunited with uh milo nice yeah yeah we don't really know what we're in for yeah exactly for session one so we just recently reconnected and we'll see what happens i guess um, all right, uh, so we're do Mark and Kai. All right, so I'm here with the lovely Kai C. Um, we're just going to go over some of the um, designs, I guess, behind the character. Um, so what's your character's name and how did you come up with it? Okay, um, so my character's name is Sola, um, and the name, well, Sola Nightingale. So Sola is uh, a girl's name that mainly means gentle. I thought it would be slightly funny because that's what her parents wanted from her, but she's kind of turned into this abrasive kind of arsehole. Um, but people, people also tend to like her, so I think it's a good mix of things. And then I guess for the last name, Nightingale, I think it's just a really cool name, and one of my friends from home has that last name. So I was like, that's a good last name. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And you pronounce that Salah? Sala. Sala, okay. Uh, what is your character's class, and why did you choose that? Uh, so her class is a Celestial Warlock, so I... Like, as a player, always play clerics or a paladin. 
being a healing character in some way. So I didn't really want to fully give that away, but I did want to experiment with the patron system as well as a different set of spells and game mechanics, which is really why I wanted to be a celestial warlock specifically. Um, and also, I just think that the idea of having like a celestial bless you or your family and being able to give your life back to that is kind of a really cool like background character concept. Okay, I find that interesting. As far as a celestial warlock, um, I guess, would you be going more towards like the lawful side or the evil side? I think I'm more of a, like a chaotic good character in the sense that I think she truly wants to do what she sees fit and not really what anyone really other than her patron tells her what to do in that specific way, but also does incline to be doing things for the greater good just kind of in her own way that she's not really susceptible to listening to other people if she's she's a little strong-headed in that way i guess okay so what is your character's race and why did you choose that so i did think a lot about what my character's race would be so i chose half elf mainly for i guess the background and the storyline so her parents are both high elves so there's there is that dynamic of who is her real father why, why did her parents tell her um, but she doesn't really have ever get to explore that aspect of her background because her, her family went missing when she was very young I also think it plays into the dynamics of someone who is, has a pretty high charisma and is very able to read others quite well but is also having this internal conflict of not really knowing what her true identity is um, and whether or not her family was actually best like fully blessed by the celestial warlock or if she's dedicating herself to a life that she doesn't really know what's going on but of course i guess she's not really telling other people that specific aspect of her um, and then I guess for the half-elf part of it, I think it's also really hard for me not to play an elf-based character when that's the first character I ever played in D&D. I've maybe chosen, like I played an Azimar once, I've played like um, a halfling before, but I, I get definitely drawn towards playing an elf character, especially not only being like a Lord of the Rings fan, but also knowing like the pretentious atmosphere that's known to go around with elves and me being British, it kind of helps play the character, of course, and also being able to make fun of myself with all of the pretentious nonsense that elves are known for being. All right, good, good. I'm a huge elf fan myself, so it definitely resonates with me there. Um, so I guess for your character, uh, you're saying that she's a half elf, but we don't know what the other half elf, what the other half is. Um, so. Is that something maybe you'll be dropping like a little bit of clues here and there during the campaign or do you think that um you'll just kind of figure it out as you get there i definitely don't know where to go with it currently i think that i mean she's quite young for an elf she's just barely over 100 years old so um i do think that there is some sort of aspect of things could start setting in later she doesn't have any like physical aspects of being like i don't know like a I don't know like she's not part gnome obviously she's six foot one um but there could be some things like she could be she's not part goblin because she's also quite tall but there could be some things of maybe she's half human and her, her mother fell in love with someone and just didn't tell her father didn't tell them i have no idea where i'm gonna go with it but i think it leaves me a lot of room to explore where this character is gonna go throughout the podcast okay what is your character's background and i guess what activities have they been up to before the uh, start of the adventure? Yeah, so being from a family of high elves, 
um, ones that are very highly re- reclaimed in, in her in her church back at home. She's an acolyte herself, so she didn't really take the ecclesiastical route. But she did take the um, being a patron of religious people and religious services and things like that. Um, so she does do a lot of work for the church in the sense of fundraising and galas and balls and doing all of these things that help a church like a successful church run and getting the the word out of what this church is so i think it was definitely a lot of that especially once her patron selected her um to be a celestial warlock i think she even had more of a connection of i need to further this movement i need to do everything that i can with the amount of money that i have and the amount of influence i have and the way i can read characters to be able to spread the message um, in a way that I guess is maybe not as pressing as say a cleric or a paladin would be because she doesn't have that religious status. Sounds like you put a lot of work into this character. Um, I noticed on some of the um, pre-play, like some of the uh, test episodes that we were doing, we had some really good like improv moments. Um, are you using D&D as kind of like a, like a method to um, improve your acting skills or? I mean, I don't really think I want to do acting like a, as a full-time thing, but I think the concept of voice acting and stuff is really fun and I do enjoy like doing the t- these types of things. So I do think being sprung into, I guess, different situations where you have this character to play, but also you have a mission to get through. And it's just like, I guess it is kind of like throwing prompts in and it is a lot of practice, but I also think that meeting all of these new people and stuff, which is very different than my normal improv group, also helps to just, I don't know, get better at talking to people. And I guess it definitely applies in real life situations um, and being able to talk to anyone about anything. And if I need to play a role in real life, this definitely is helpful for that as well. Is there anything specific that we should know about, like maybe the archetype you chose for this character moving forward or? Um, I don't know, I guess, I guess in my mind for this character, I'm do, I am trying to play the fine line between being the strong-headed person that doesn't really like to listen to people, but also being on a team, knowing that other people have a lot of strengths that she's failing at, specifically, like I know um, in some of the pre-play that we did, like she's not a very intelligent person, um, but not, also not being able to stand <laughs> that someone smarter than her, even though she no, knows she's not very smart. So kind of balancing like where her weaknesses are with be, having to rely on other people in a way that's, I guess, not as demeaning as she would want to be in her own mind and kind of seeing where that takes her and hopefully she can, I don't know, grow as a person and realize that she has her own strengths and other people have theirs as well. I think Elf was an excellent choice for that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was as well. Okay, Mark, are you ready? Are you ready for some questions? I am ready. Okay, what is your character's name and how did you come up with it? Okay, so uh, my character's name is Morgoth, the Reluctant. Um, I chose it because I think we just need more goth in D&D in general. Um, I've had a few like edgy characters and stuff and you know, sometimes people like kind of joke around like, oh, that's too edgy or whatever. And I think it, I think as a trope, it can be a little bit overdone, but I think if it's just a little bit, um, it's kind of interesting on some of the backstory and stuff on some of these edgy characters. So um, I don't know, I chose more goth as kind of like a, uh, like a melding of two words together. But I do realize that uh, more goth is one of the big bad evil guys in Lord of the Rings. And does the Reluctant have any significance? 
Um, so when I designed this character, I wanted him to be like initially it was going to be like kind of like the cowardly fighter, um, but ended up with party comp and everything. The way that it works is that I actually moved him to a wizard, um, but he's going to be just kind of shying away from any close combat. Um, he's very reluctant to do anything out of the norm that could cause him any kind of physical danger, I guess. So, yeah. So what is your character's class and why did you choose that for Morgoth? All right, Morgoth is a wizard um, because he's a bit cowardly and he does not like any kind of close combat, any kind of physical danger. He has like a visceral reaction to any kind of danger and wants to get away from it. Um, that goes into kind of his backstory where um, he kept his nose like in a book as he was coming up just to stay out of trouble. He didn't excel at anything physical um, and he just wanted to stay out of any like potential conflicts. Um, so reading was kind of like his escape from that whole world got it um so and then what is your character's race and why did you choose that does that play into the name or anything else um it may play into the name a little bit um so i picked shadarkai um because i love elves um kind of like you um i think they're just the most amazing characters for like um fantasy and stuff i think they have great um great history and there's like a long long line of stories that you can kind of draw off of um and then i chose shadarkai specifically as an elf because they're like a more goth edgy version of an elf um and i think it just fits in perfectly with uh with a, a very strange almost far traveler-esque um a wizard who wouldn't be from exactly um where everyone else is from Got it. So where is your character from? Does that, uh, what's your character's background and what would they have been doing before we get into this planescape type um, atmosphere? Sure. So uh, Morgoth, um, being a Shadarkai, would be from the Shadowfell is where he would have been born at. Um, prior to any of the adventures or anything going on, he would be probably attempting to find uh, new rare books, any kind of knowledge or information that um, he wouldn't be able to get in the Shadowfell. Um, so he may be looking for a way to cross um, on his own um, as it's rather drab and dreary in the Shadowfell. Um, so his background, um, I kind of went back and forth on a few of them. I chose Far Traveler because I think that a lot of the things that he'll experience on the other planes um, would be completely novel and new to him. Um, he would have only read about them in books. Um, so I think he's going to be kind of sticking out like a sore thumb, um, just this weird gothic looking elf um who happens to just be a crazy coward um so yeah so anything he sees you know coming up like architecture even colors traditions customs it's going to be kind of like the first time for him so i thought far traveler would fit well with that yeah definitely and how do you see morgoth like fitting into a team setting playing dungeons and dragons and kind of being plopped in to this area with people that he's never met before yeah, so I think that Morgoth, um, for me, is going to be a huge difference. I've I've played like the Barbarian, the Paladin, um, you know, the the upfront running towards danger characters, and for me, I think um, Morgoth will be kind of a good fit as far as the party composition goes, um, which is why I chose Wizard. Um, I think him staying in the back kind of makes up with the cowardly archetype. I'm not going to want to be on the front lines anyways, and maybe I will uh, be able to go th through this campaign without getting dropped for once. Um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> And as far as like a team player, um, Morgoth, while he is cowardly, he does care about his friends. Um, he doesn't have many in the Shadowfell. Um, 
but I think that he'll he'll work out um, as a as a valuable member to the team um, going forward. I haven't chosen a school for him just yet, um, but I'm thinking of going with maybe the uh, School of Illusion, just because everything in the Shadowfell is more malleable, and uh, it might be a good training ground for an up and coming occultist or illusionist. Very interesting. I'm definitely interested to see a lot more of Morgoth. Do you have anything else that you would want people to know about your character before we get before we begin the campaign? I wish I had something interesting to say, but I don't. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll good. I think Morgoth's interesting enough, and people will figure that out quite quickly. <laughs> well, what is your character's name, and how did you come up with it? Ah. My character's name is Rooston of the Morning Light, and his name is Rooston because he's a rooster person, and he's of the Morning Light because he always gets up at the crack of dawn and blurts out a cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, what is your character's class, and why did you choose that? I picked a paladin for him. And it seemed kind of in line with who he is. Like, he always gets up at the crack of dawn. And he's, like, instantly motivated. And he wants everybody around him to be instantly motivated as well, regardless of how sleepy they may be. And this just seemed like kind of the fit for a paladin. He's like, all right, come on, guys. Let's, let's get going. Yeah. Um, what kind of uh, alignment is he being a paladin and with good intention? He's lawful good, just as any you know, uh, reputable paladin should be. Nice. Nice. Uh, what is your character's class? Oh, no, wait, race. And why did you choose that? So his race is a poem, and I chose it because it was a homebrew class, or sorry, not class, race. It's a homebrew race that I made a while, maybe like a year ago, like a while back. And I saw that this was a good opportunity to use it. Nice, very nice. Um, let's see. What is your character's background and activities before the start of the adventure? His background is that he is a noble. So before the adventure, he was the eldest son of the family of the Morning Light in Roostopia, the kind of ruling family there. But his family realized uh, from a young age that he's really stupid. He's like unreasonably stupid. He can't really read. He can't, he can like sort of write. He can read like a stop sign probably at the <laughs> most. And so, and in this family, uh, it's very religious. They worship Torm, the god of courage, right? And so, but Rustin always like, he, he was never smart enough to, you know, uh, like have be a, his, the successor and become the like nobleman of this, this realm. And so his parents, they, they did like his can-do attitude though, right? So he really, he really uh, had held the, like the, like the message, the, oh fuck, I can't, I can't think of the word. He, he took it to heart, like the, uh, the vibe, I guess, of this family of just like being good basically and being courageous and battling, you know, in a courageous way. And also in spreading the religious message of this family, and they're uh, kind of like propaganda also of like pro-chicken propaganda. And so they sent him out into the world to go spread their family's message. 
the family's message and Roostopia. Is there other like tell me about the dimension a little bit of uh, Roostopia? Is that a city or is that like a whole, you know, uh, island or Earth or whatever? Uh, Roostopia's it's more of like like a fiefdom, almost where they're like the noble noble lords of this kind of area. But there are other nobles, right? And there's actually a uh, Poyam king in a capital city like far away oh, nice okay so there's, there's and they, they don't take up like an entire continent or anything but they've got their own little country going on yeah and do they have like uh any kind of neighbors or anything that are like uh hostile towards them or kind of the counter topia or counter roostopia hmm. that's <laughs> <laughs> all good we're still developing in your canon i've got um i'll say if you get like too deep into the forest, uh, kind of like less populated areas of Rustopia, you might run into some like werewolves that will fuck their shit up and like grab them and like eat them. Yeah, you know? that whole and, um, and... There's also were coyotes too, and those are a, a little less annoying, but still annoying. Are, are they uh, hybrids like yourself, or are they uh, just? Werewolves and just. No, no, they are actual like were people. They're half human, or not half human. They're like humans who turn into these animals and then eat them, but only when they're turned into those animals. The rest of the time, they're peaceful. They just hang out in the forest. That's awesome. I could ask a billion questions about your character. It's just such an interesting <laughs> one, like a, a half rooster, and with all the lore and everything else. I just want to know everything he's about. He's not it. a half rooster. He's like a rooster, or, but he's like okay. a like a person sized rooster okay, yeah okay that's what i mean by rooster person sorry i get it now hey i'm glad we got that clarified <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk or tell about your character hmm i don't think so that's about it okay cool 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 so what's everyone's like background with D D? Not all at once, you guys. Everyone's trying not to talk over each other. I've been playing D&D for probably about six years now. Um, it's I like it. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you play any other editions besides 5th? Uh, yeah, actually. I, that's a good question. Thank you. I started playing actually with 3.5. And I played that for a long time. I played that a lot longer than I've played 5th edition for. Is, I think I played five what, is that what Pathfinder was built after? I don't yeah. know. I've never played Pathfinder. So that's how I started. I played Pathfinder. I played a campaign, but it was short-lived. It was probably like three or four sessions. Then I took a hiatus for a while, and then me and Chris reconnected. I joined Raven's Realm, and then I got into Moonlight Equilibrium, like the last two sessions, I guess. And then, um, so ever since then, I've been kind of playing in multiple campaigns, but I've only been playing for about a year or so, I would say. Nice. I played for like six years too, um, I guess. However long 2015 has been. That's why I started. Six years? Yeah. I started with fifth edition. But this the weird thing is like, so I was a Warhammer and a 40K player for a long time too and like starting in my teen years and so like we kind of did 
our own like um pen and paper rpgs too because we, we play like warhammer magic the gathering and then we would play like our homebrew version of D, like me and my friends in high school and a little bit afterwards so it was weird like i i played pen and paper rpgs for god like 20 years it must be but um i didn't sit down and play like a real D game until fifth edition happened so that's my experience with it really yeah so uh, my brother, he played Dungeons and Dragons. I was always jealous. I always wanted to play it. And then eventually, whenever we were like in our 30s, he invited me to play one game. And I played, and it was fun. And then I did it, the uh, Dungeon Master for my family over and over. And it was just fun to do pretend play with my kids. And then from there, I played like a campaign here and there. Not even a whole I've never completed a campaign. I've only done like one or two episodes, I think most. So it's going to be a new experience for me. I've yeah, but I listen to Dungeons and Dragons podcasts all the time, but I'm just really into it. I want to play it more and not DM as much. So this is a great opportunity for that. I remember playing a few times with your brother. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I guess. <laughs> he's the kind of DM that, I guess that I'm enjoys definitely... bringing the pain. <laughs> But I've never DM'd a game, but my friends have been asking me to because I talk about it all the time and like this podcast and things that are happening and they they're like, that sounds actually interesting and not like a nerd game. And I say it definitely is a nerd game, but it's a lot more fun than just like calling it a nerd game. Yeah, I guess. nerd doesn't mean um, not fun. Exactly. I think nerds have a lot more fun because we right. just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I found D D to be like very complex as far as like when you get together and actually like play in a group that there's so much like inter-party dynamics and just like you know like it's like a really strange form i guess not strange but it's a it's a form of like self-expression that is alien to a lot of people like for me you know as soon as i got in like i wasn't used to being able to like kind of jump out of my shell and and you know get after a certain character or archetype and just kind of create like these little group dynamics and friendships and i just i don't know i find DD to be very intriguing in that way. it's a cool outlet for creativity and to like act it up or entertain it up a little bit it's it's a really good format for it because it gives it a reason uh, a lot of the podcasts i did in the past it was just like i would have to find a reason here's a current event let's talk about that but like this it's like organically created and you just get it's an open world almost <laughs> How long have you been playing, Kai? So I definitely say I'm the, the Dungeons and Dragons like child of this group to say. Um, I didn't stop playing <laughs> until the pandemic pandemic hit in. Um, not to sound like I'm actually 15 years old, but I did like stop randomly getting like random like Dungeons and Dragons TikTok recommended <laughs> to me. Um, and I was like, that kind of looks fun. Like I'd heard about it before. I'd never actually played it. And then I started getting recommended like Critical Role and Dimension 20 on YouTube. And I was like, okay, this is something that is like feasible to do during the pandemic. My classes are boring. I have so much more free time because I can't go outside or play the sports that I normally do. So um, I started looking on World, uh, World 20 for things and I found like a West Marches 
type server where like everyone has their own character and you just play one shots that are either two hours or four hours long and you kind of develop your character that way through playing sessions and like growing to different levels that way but i wanted something that was more i guess like traditional dungeons and dragons with playing a campaign so i found this server and that's kind of how i got introduced to it so i've been playing for about a year i think i joined this server and maybe like march or april um so that's definitely been like main like i have never played in person um so hopefully when things get more back to normal i can start a group with my friends or something like that and play in person with like actual dice and stuff but i really have grown to love the game since since i've been playing that's really cool uh, i really thought you um were really seasoned with this i know to use really three times in a row but like it's interesting um <laughs> Because I just, I guess maybe it's the British accent or something I throw in and I'm like, yeah, she knows, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. I thought you were the most experienced. So that's interesting to find out. <laughs> she knows what she's she doing. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. She's just really competent. <laughs> I, did really, like, I, I did read like all of the rule books and stuff. Like I'm very much, I know I kind of went like student mode and like, if I'm going to learn how to play this game, I'm going to learn how to play it correctly. That's just, I guess, the type of person that I am, and I really like playing it. So it's not, it's not like it's hard work, like work, or like it feels like a, a burden or something to yeah, do. Yeah, so. you enjoy the the research side of it to make sure you you get the fullest out of it. Oh, absolutely, and something that I've like, I always have loved doing. Like, I love writing short stories and things like that, even though it has nothing to do with what I'm studying. So, like, you don't share characters. any of that with us on the Discord. You definitely should. I love to read. Oh god, it's so embarrassing, absolutely not. I like character creation though, so like that's one of the main things that I really do love about this game is like being able to be like, okay, this is the setting. Actually, I don't even know what the setting is. What am I feeling in this moment? Do I want to continue to do what I've normally done and be like a paladin playing the lawful good character? Do I want to try and spice it up? Um, and I think that's really fun. Like I've, I've created like seven characters for this campaign and then decided on the one that I selected because I thought it not only fit well, but I was enjoying like figuring out the backstory and like seeing how it would fit well with others. Well, with your writing, I I know this much. Like I, I wrote a campaign, I'm not really a campaign, it's like a one-off, but it was so much fun on a creative writing level. Like writing your own Dungeons and Dragons stuff is really, really fun. Cause you don't have oh, to follow is. any rules. <laughs> Make the yeah, rules. Yeah, that, that's why I'm like getting more like more and more pushed into like possibly DMing something short. Cause I do love like that aspect of it, but also it seems like super stressful. Um, but, but if you know your you world, know, it's not so stressful once you, like, if you know your world, like, in and out and know, you know, the religious alignments and everything else about your area, it makes it pretty easy to, to DM it as long as you just, you know, create a world for it. Like, to me, I, I like to create, like, a, a general idea, like, oh, this is like that show, but then modify it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the process would definitely be fun. And like even being on their server and like Chris had like I played in like a little bit of his own homebrewed like world and everything. And that was so interesting to see, I don't know, kind of like into the minds of the people that come up with these things and how like they how they how much time and effort they put into prepping these campaigns and building a world for the characters to play in, which is why I'm really excited for what um Brandon comes up with for this specific podcast and the the plane shift elements and everything. Yeah, Brandon seems very thorough with knowing his uh, craft. 
I know, even for the one shot, like the practice that we did, he knew everything about that as well, too, and was just you so like, knowledgeable about it. He would have an answer for it. <laughs> I know, and I'd be asking game. dumb stuff, and he'd be like, I know, I know that, I know that, and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. candle keep one shot was pretty fun as far as just like the setting and everything yeah. is, is well done. I've played other games with Brandon as the GM before, and he's really he's really good. He's like one of probably the best, maybe the best GM I've ever had. Actually, <laughs> have you heard of Will William Perry? <laughs> he's definitely he's better than me. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like to dress art, so I, I can dress great. I mean, it's still going too. Oldest, it's the longest running campaign on this server, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I, I love mine. explaining it. I love explaining it to new people who are like trying to ask about the campaigns and stuff. They're like, "What about this featured one, Dragon Shards?" I'm like, "Well, how much time do you DM, have?" Yeah, <laughs> that DM is a little crazy. Wait, what about? Uh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I guess the easiest way to explain it, as far as just like the 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 hook is that this land called Ard is filled um, with all these different continents and whatnot. Or is it one continent, Will? It's one. It's one? Well, okay. Ard, is a, Ard is the continent. Estimate. Ard is the continent. Okay. Yeah. But there are several um, of these things called dragon shards, and they're basically, the, they've been turned into these rings, and each ring has a dragon soul that, like, trapped inside of it and uh, the wielder gets powers from the dragon and it, the, it's actually a living shard of the soul of the dragon so you gain these uh, certain char characteristics like um, wings uh, a flame breath weapon or whatever it is and you can also like commune with the dragon soul inside of the shard um, so you get to hear will's dragon voice it's very oh, awesome. That's awesome it is pretty cool each one has a different voice too my favorite part about <laughs> art actually is that underneath the entire continent sprawls this huge library and that's my favorite part of Ard. Thanks. <laughs> they just got there. They've been playing this new game for like 10 games and they just they just found it. They I was played. listening. I was listening on that one. They've done the like typical player thing of going into a, a dungeon for a bit and then being like, mm, never mind. And then turning around and leaving where they would have gotten there sooner if they had. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Do y'all have any kind of pet peeves on the with the table or anything with the dungeons and dragons? And I don't know. Oh, that's, that's a loaded question. question. Loaded question. <laughs> I hate when Mark plays. I hate when Mark <laughs> is in the game. Fucking Mark. Fucking <laughs> Mark, man. That's the that guy is the issue. I think uh, maybe the main one would be like, um, like main character syndrome or like wanting Tom the spotlight way too much. I mean, I know sometimes people are like self-conscious that they're hogging the spotlight too much and then they won't say anything. So it, it ends up backfiring and they're too quiet. But like then, then you have the opposite problem sometimes too, like where one player is like the, the de facto leader of the party, like making all the decisions, like wanting to go off and like have low scenes by themselves. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that can be good yelling. sometimes, but like all the time, it's like too much. You know what I mean? I find it interesting on those kinds of parties when that, let's say that person can't make that session. Like, it almost feels like the group just almost falls apart. Oh, yeah, that's true. They just like flounder. They don't know what to I do. I haven't even thought about that. Without, that without you know, 
That's something we have to be concerned about, too. Yeah, what if Roosten can't make I know, it? What do know? we do? <laughs> well, this when when will we wake up? You know? <laughs> oh, this is too late for him. He can't be part of this adventure. <laughs> <laughs> the DM. Uh, don't worry, we'll put you on a side quest until he gets back. There's a rat problem underneath the inn. <laughs> we gotta fight the rat king again. <laughs> again? I fought the rat king on like three of my like six dungeons and dragons things. I don't know why it's such a hot. So you know him very I well. I do. <laughs> That's a skill that actually put that in your resume for Rat King Slayer. What is the what is the D D version of LinkedIn? I guess it's uh Adventures League. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fought Rat King and won fifty percent of the time. Yeah, rats in the basement is a classic. Oh, what else? You guys have any other pet peeves? I think one of mine that I, I've learned, and it's it's interesting, is like people that over role play, if that makes sense. Like I've played in like one of the campaigns that like very quickly after like one session ended, someone was adamant on like every single hit that they made or every single thing, like any little thing that they did, like they tried to pick a lock or if they tried to like light a torch would try and like RP and explain what they were doing. And it just... I don't know I feel like it it halts like the progression of what's happening too much if like I think that like combat RP is like super fine um but I think over RP can definitely halt the movement of it and I guess it also kind of plays into what Chris said about like main character syndrome in making like everything that happens your moment has to be bigger than everybody else's yeah exactly i mean at times too it can be too rich in story or whatnot over one person and then it just kind of loses the focus of the whole story is kind of another thing i've seen is just um the story being way too far away from where it is but every doesn't ever go back you know it just kind of spirals yeah i can agree with that the over role play i guess i'll as a pet peeve of mine, I probably have a few, but I will kind of piggyback onto Kai here. Um, the person who role plays, but let's say the session ends and we're done, and then they're continually trying to role play. <laughs> that to me drives me insane. I'm like, yo, this is not canon. People have left the table, and you're, you, you know, you're still trying to push like, what happens if I say this? And I'm like, you can't. I don't know. That was one of mine. Funny, I haven't experienced that, but again, I'm I'm novice player but i got an answer for that actually so what i do with those people is i move it to text and then i get back to them the next day you make them type it out yeah <laughs> that's pretty smart you gotta work out that frustration yeah i get it and it's it's not a, a, a you know an attack versus someone who's enthusiastic about the game and wants the story to continue because we've all been there right we've had sessions end where you're like Man, I was just, you know, starting to have like a lot of fun or whatever. And, you know, but people, we've got work, we've got life going on and we're not able to continue. And it's not that person who's like too enthusiastic about the game or whatever. But I mean, someone who's constantly trying to drag, because you got to think about the DM as well. The DM puts in a lot of time prior to the session, during the session, and even after the session just to make everything work. And it's like, if you're going to try to draw out that time, even though we've already called curtains and some people have left the table, but you're still trying to push. To me, it's almost... I wouldn't say disrespectful, that's probably the wrong word, um, but just like, what is it, 
what's the word when someone is just trying to do something and they're not really like cognizant of it um it's just rude in that way like you're just yeah. like they're unconscious of themselves unaware exactly of I also think kind of in the opposite of that direction, something that does kind of bother me, not really on the table, but is when people don't really want to engage, I guess, with the group, either before the game starts or afterwards, and they're kind of just like, I'm here to play D&D, and I'm going to leave. I'm not going to talk to you, I'm not going to try and gain rapport with the group before or afterwards, and they're kind of just like, I'm here to do a job, and then I'm going to leave, which kind of takes a fun away of, like, bonding as a group and creating these characters, like, creating uh, bonds with the characters as well as the players that you get to know and work better with each other. Yeah, that may be an artifact of playing online as well. I don't know if you're playing in yeah, person, I don't, I don't think that's as much problem about that, really. I In my game, I kind of have like an open table policy, I guess, where like anyone can join and anyone can leave and it's like not a huge deal. I, I just try to make that my policy and I found that my game probably couldn't exist at all if I didn't do that because I get so many people coming and going because of that policy. And it's been going on for so long, too, that, like, I like I, I know I'm dedicated to my game, but, like, I get it if people play my game for, like, a year, and then they're like, well, I can't, like, a, life happens, you know? I can't do it anymore. And it, like, still works out fine. It's, like, it's almost impossible to run a game for, like, more than a couple years, or a year, more than a year, yeah, and then not have people come and yeah. go. Yeah, that just made it work. <laughs> right. So, um, we have talked about some of our qualms with players in D and D. What would be some of y'all's favorite things that have happened in D and D? Like, what do you? I, I love it when a D twenty or when a uh, nat twenty hits, and it's just like some of the most asinine thing can happen, or it hits at the most weird <laughs> time. Like that to me is like kind of what draws me in is the little bit of gambly aspect of storytelling. Oh, that's a good question. Very good question. I like it when people do creative things. You do, Will, because I noticed whenever I've ever done anything creative, you're like, oh, that's cool. And then you're like, yeah, for sure. And you make it work into the story. I've seen you do that many times. I try to do that as much as I can. But I try to, when somebody asks for something unreasonable, I can't always let them do it. You mean like pilot a, a flying saucer with a battle axe being slammed <laughs> into the control panel? So pushing uh, reasonable is one of my favorite tasks too. Of trying to figure out where reasonable is, and then kind of going a few inches past it. That's probably why Lacroix is a bard, Justin. Yeah, probably, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you like pushing limits. I might be in the minority here, but I like when combat doesn't go well for the party, even when I'm in the party. When it's like super challenging, <laughs> and we're like, "Oh, we're danger here." Then, like, the <laughs> pressure's on, like, I, I kind of like that, because it, it just makes it to where it's not, like, trading hit points. It's like, we're actually having to make tactical decisions here. And then also... No, I, I like sorry, not Jared. fucking running on encounters, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I also mean, I, like, I like combat, and I, I definitely do like when it's, it's more difficult, and it's not just like, oh, we're an overpowered party, but... We're gonna smash this and run. I like the the concept of having to think about ways to get out of combat that aren't necessarily necessarily like killing the enemy or finding ways to make things work if you know 
this isn't going to go well if you do engage in combat or finding ways to make I don't know the game a lot more fun than just oh we do a little bit of RP for 15 to 20 minutes we go into combat we leave and just having that on roll and adding a little bit more of maybe we shouldn't fight this demon when we're level one maybe we should do something else like a clever game, like, like a, a well thought out game, instead of just like, oh, well, this is brute strength going against brute strength. Oh, they just won the attack. It, going deeper than that. Yeah, definitely. I also like encounters with like other ways to go about them, or even if it is mostly fighting, it's on there's some kind of like deeper level, like yeah, something the, their reason. You could talk to them during the fight and get them to stop fighting you for whatever their reasons for fighting you are. And that's why I, I also kind of love playing spellcasters, is because not every spell that you can do is like a damage-dealing one. You can ha make ways of like, maybe I can put them to sleep and we can just run away, or maybe we can convince this person to be on our side in different ways, so it's not always, we need to vanquish this enemy, maybe we can work this to our favor in a different way, which I think is why I always play someone with some level of spellcasting, because that's something I really appreciate about the game. I really like that about it too. Well, that's awesome. I like uh, when you're in a campaign for a while and you start to really feel like at home in that campaign world. Like your character has a little bit of life of its own and your imagination really starts to click in that scene, whatever scene you're in, you start to feel like you're like kind of there a little bit in your imagination become the actor and you start to really like channel into your role and understand LaCroix is a little bit deeper than what you initially created and find yourself in your character so you can like highlight the greatness of your character your whatnot <laughs> yeah like I get I get attached to my characters oh yeah like sometimes, sometimes I don't and like they'll die and I'm like okay whatever I made a stupid decision and I died but other times I'm like, no, I've been like, character for a year and they're dead. <laughs> it feels a friend actually died, you know what I mean? Or like a piece of you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it feels that way, but I guess to go, like, as far as like another pet peeve for me is that if the world feels too safe, I don't like it. Oh, absolutely. That's true. Like if death is not a possibility, then what are we actually doing? And of course, I fall in love with my characters. I love them. And sometimes, you know, when they die or whatever, it does feel bad, but it also makes me feel more fond of them sometimes. I can understand um, that. Even like in a one shot, you killed Ezra, I remember. <laughs> I did? Oh, you did, you yeah. did. <laughs> well, no, I was actually playing them stupidly. Um, <laughs> nothing like Morgoth will be played, but we were a level one, right? So it was like a one hit deal. But I just feel like. If there's no danger in the world, then I don't know. It's not. Oh, absolutely. It's not as fun. I just, I'm not ready to accept the death of Lacroix. <laughs> I've worked really hard not on ready. the character, and I'm like, I don't even have a second character. I need to create a backup character. We should create second characters. That would suck if we died out of the gate somehow. If Morgoth, if Morgoth dies, his brother Korgoth will come. <laughs> Korgoth, nice. Milo Underhand Jr. I've actually put some thought into this. <laughs> I've actually put some thought in this, and Korgoth's brother is an actual asshole. He's a barbarian Shadarkai, and he's like been eating up on Mor on Morgoth his whole life. Oh man, I could come up with some ideas. Maybe Lacroix's old bandmates come and take his place or something. I don't know. There you <laughs> go. 
<laughs> hey guys, well, I feel like we've kind of hit a pretty good point at this place of uh, answering questions and kind of getting a feeler, feelers out for each other and where we're going directionally for the podcast and kind of our background. Is there like other stuff that y'all are interested in um, talking about at this point? Well, we should say that start of the next episode will include the other half of the party i guess or how many people are we missing one third of our party exactly i think yeah. or no a little bit more this is just I forgot that craig is not a real person. and also brandon probably has a few questions right yeah so this this like the part one i suppose episode zero part one <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> zero point. We're just going to spend the whole time zero building an uh, environment and cannon, but not actually playing and talking about it. Though. It's going to be so good, guys. It's going <laughs> to be gold. It's going to be great. Don't, Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, Raven's Realm Discord. You guys should check it out. Raven's Realm Tabletop. I think we should start doing some of these interviews live on the server, and I think that... um. People in the audience should be able to ask questions as well. Oh, that'd be cool. Once we establish things, I think that's a great idea. I've seen some cool live shows go on, especially with the format we have here with the Raven's Realm. It would work wonderfully. Yeah, we're on all those social medias, Raven's Realm. So that's uh, it's worth checking into. We got all the different, uh, like YouTube and Instagram, Facebook, we have all that TikTok. stuff. So. You can even ask Alexa. <laughs> yes, you can actually uh, say Alexa, play Raven's Realm podcast, I think. Oh no, my Alexa's going to go off. Uh-huh. And say a <laughs> word. She's like, I don't want to play that shit. <laughs> Fuck you, Chris. Hey. Did you know Jeff Bezos shot a missile to the moon? <laughs> I would love to visit Roostopia. <laughs> Just saying, like, if we yeah, can figure too. out a way to, like, tie in this. We spoiler, might get there in Planescape. To go to Roostopia. <laughs> if I ever get to level nine, I will learn the plane ship spell and we will go to Roostopia. <laughs> That's the it's a one off. We're not actually doing anything. We're just describing everything. <laughs> there are chickens everywhere, as far as the art can see. Yeah, sorry, Brandon. We have our own plans. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a spin-off. <laughs> oh god, it could actually do it. I mean, Brustopia's if, if Brandon never can't make it. Characters from Brustopia. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, like a random one-off. Brandon can't make it, so we just go to Brustopia for, for one episode. We fall in a portal. Alright, so, Lonnie, uh... What's your character's name, and how did you come up with it? So, my character's name is Flutter Echo. I, there's no special way that I came up with it. I just... She's an Air Genasi, so I was like, Flutter sounds cool. Echo also sounds like a word she would use to name herself, so I just put the two words together, and that's how I came up with her name. Nothing special. <laughs> Alright, that's cool. That makes sense. Uh, so she she's an air genasi. So uh, what what class is she? She is a druid. What made you uh, go with druid? Is that like your favorite class or? 
So the reason I picked Druid is because I don't usually play Druid, but I always play like an Elf and a Ranger. Or an Elf or something else. <laughs> I was like, well, let me try Druid. Because I always play Elves and, and Rangers. Like, let's do something different. Let's ex expand our variety of character types I can play. Are there any like uh, special features of the Druid class that you really like to use? Like maybe Wild Shape or something like that? Well, I had, because in a, another game before this one, I played a Druid. It was like a one-shot. And I was like, ooh, I get to change the animals. Sounds awesome. So that, that drew me to it too. Also, Animal Friendship and Speak with Animals. I used those spell on my ranger character, so I was like, I know how those spells work. Uh, so what made you go with Air Genasi? Um, I played a Fire Genasi. I played a Water Genasi. I played a, I play Elf on a regular basis. So... It seemed, because the Air Genasis are just really pretty. Like, every, like, fan character art that I've seen of Air Genasis, they're, like, really pretty. They have, like, really pretty blue-ish tint skin. And I was like, <laughs> yep, we're going to go with that. <laughs> that sounds cool. Um, so, what was Flutter uh, Echo up to? before the start of the adventure and uh what did you put down for your character's background so flutter echo is a she goes by her actual name is just flutter that's the name her parents gave her and her parents are kind of like high society noble members in Faerun, and her parents kind of ruled where they lived with like an iron fist, fist per se which Flutter didn't like so before she got kidnapped or whatever happened to her um, she was basically just keeping away from like just staying out of view of other people that know her parents so she was basically on the run um, so when she started going on the run, per se, she changed her name to Echo. She likes to be called Echo because Flutter kind of reminds her too much of home. And right now, her parents think she's dead. So... <laughs> really? Yeah. She made it... She faked her own death. Um, she also is in love with another... A rival family's son... And he also helped her fake her own death, per se. When okay. you, when the when the audience meets her now, her hair is kind of her hair was like this long, white, beautiful, straight, beautiful hair. She has with the help of her friend, who she will name later, it is now kind of like chopped really like very badly cut so she kind of doesn't look like flutter per se um her hair is still the same color but she has chopped it very short so that way no one asks who she is no one has any idea that she is actually flutter so she will only go by echo if you call her flutter 
her she's she is not okay with being cold water. <laughs> okay, I'll have to remember that when I'm playing Milo. Uh, he only knows her as Echo. Um, so is there anything uh, else that uh, you'd like everyone to know about Echo um, before we wrap it up? Um, for the audience, I would describe Echo as if anyone has ever watched Raven <laughs> in Teen Titans, that is the vibe she gives <laughs> with a little bit of Starfire, so that episode when like Starfire and Raven switched bodies, so like she's trying really hard to be something she's not. So as long as she's not upset or emotional, she can maintain the I'm okay, everything's fine, I don't care what's happening. But as soon as like you do something to make her upset, she becomes that very proper princessy type of person that she doesn't like about herself so it causes her like great stress when that happens <laughs> well awesome that's really cool uh it sounds really interesting i can't wait to play uh with all the characters and echo sounds really cool so yeah thank you you're welcome okay Hi, Mike. How are you today? You good? Good. How, good. How are you? I'm. I'm good. So, I'm really interested, and the audience is going to be interested. So, what is your character's name, and how did you come up with it? Um, Gridar Iron Top. I don't remember where I saw Gridar at, but it's kind of stuck with me for I don't know about a year or so. I actually created a blank character sheet on beyond that that showed the name gridar and i just kind of left it and iron top i just typed in a into one of the name generators a dwarf dwarven's uh surname and that's kind of what i came up with awesome i like that i like just the idea of just letting it sit then you're like oh i can use this now so, what is your character's class, and why did you choose that specific class? Um, I've never actually played a barbarian, as common as they are, so that's what I kind of, kind of went with. What is your character's race? Why did you choose the race that you chose? Um, I chose dwarf. I actually love dwarves. Dwarves are, are in my eyes, a pretty well-rounded, a well-rounded character base. So I, I wanted to play another one. Nice. And the last and final question is, what is your character's background and what activities was your character doing before the start of the event? Gridar's background is that his father left him when he was very young, and his father was a famous shield dwarf for the king of his clan. Um, when his when the king retired from the clan and went on his last march, his father went with him as tradition dictated, and Gridar, being somewhat young, wanted to follow in his father's footsteps. And the clan has not seen his father or the 
previous king or heard from them. So Grydar kind of got worried and just set out on his own before he completed his training and just started traveling the world looking for two male dwarves that have been marching the land. And is there anything that you would want to share or that the audience should know about your character? Um, Grydar has the need to prove himself. He, he, he always wants to be the person that everybody is looking to. And he's not always, he's, he's not the smartest dwarf that you've ever seen. So he, 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 he fumbles along from time to time. Uh, so like when we recorded yesterday, we talked for a while about, um, what are some of like our pet peeves with D and D players and what are some of our positive experience uh, experiences uh, playing D and I was wondering if you guys wanted to talk for a minute about that. I'll throw hey, it in there. I have a story. <laughs> <laughs> so, Go ahead. Before I joined you, wonderful people here at Raven's Room, I was kind of just hunting for where I belonged. So the very first game that I was a part of, the guy that was in charge of it ended up having to cancel it because of the fact that. <laughs> He didn't have time to run it. So then I found another group of people. My biggest thing is, is if if it pulls me out of the game, if you try to metal, metagame, and that was literally every session I would have with these new people, one of the guys would be like, well, you can't do this because the rule says this. And then they would get in an argument for like two minutes, him and the DM, and they were friends. So it wasn't like they're gonna chew each other's head off, but it was just really annoying. So, like, I just kind of faded away out of that because I was like, I can't do this. I can't sit here and be really into this. And then as soon as <laughs> something does not go right for this particular person, they want to argue about it for, like, two minutes. And so they still, like, the guy still invites me to be part of their stuff, but I just, I just don't respond. I'm like, no. nah, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. Oh, uh, what but, about you? Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but what I love about it is I get to like make new friends. Like I, and it's a way for me to network in a sense, get my face out there because theater. <laughs> I have a theater to go. So like for me, I'm like I'm meeting new people. I don't know if I'll need them later in life, but right now they're pretty cool. So yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. What about you, Mike? Do you have any uh, stories or pet peeves or anything like that that sort of pisses you off? I guess, I mean, I know everybody plays different, and that's something that I love about the game. But when you get the, the I guess, the really experienced people that believe they know everything about it, and they create characters based on what they know about what's coming up and then try and just kind of take you on that train and then try and steer a train as the train's going down the tracks. It's, it, it's a little frustrating. 
like a power gamer yeah that yeah. that i mean it's it's supposed to be something fun something try something new every time you make a character and and uh, and, and that kind of frustrates me i'm not going to say i i hate it i just i just that's one of the play styles that i'm not really fond of yeah i hear you yeah i could see why that would be a little bit annoying but i mean i like getting to meet new people i like getting to play with new people because you get to see what other people are doing you get to see all these different characters all this thought process that people put into their characters and how they want to play and then that just seeing how it spreads and blossoms into i mean every time you start one there's a new team and i mean everybody's I mean, the first couple are always a little rocky but i mean the team's kind of start filling out their roles and sometimes you can actually get to the point where you know what somebody's going to do because you've seen what they can do or you get a 180 turn and they pull something new out that you haven't seen before yeah yeah <laughs> i like when people surprise me too um i mean it sounds like you kind of answered it already but uh do you guys have any um like positive experiences playing D&D or like your favorite sort of aspect of playing D&D? For me, it's just getting to see what characters I can pull out of my head. <laughs> it's fun not having for like a certain amount of hours in the night having not to be me like after like after a stressful day of work, I get to pretend that work doesn't exist for those three <laughs> hours, and it's it's great. I also found out very quickly that I liked D and D. Like I, I I just took it on because I was just trying to discover things about myself. I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna like it, but I'll try it. But I'll try it, and I was like, oh, this is actually this is actually fun. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> How long have you guys been playing? Um, I think mine is going on a a year now, which is weird. Cause I don't remember when. I know. Yeah, I think it's like almost a year, a year or two. I haven't been playing long. I've been playing since 3.5. Off and on. That year 2000? Yeah. Yeah, around there. Nice. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the 3.5 books around that time. Um... But I never actually had any of those books. But I, I do remember like a few people in school having those and looking at them like, wow, that's cool. Like, what is a monster I, man? And, like, I think I still have I think I still have the player's handbook up in the attic. It's in the book. I think it's in the box with the encyclopedias. That's how that's how long ago. <laughs> <laughs> And to what you said, Lottie, I mean, yeah, definitely, like, the escapism is, like, a huge part of it for me, too. Or kind of just, like, being transported into that, like, imaginary world. Like, I, I love other games like Skyrim and other, like, RPGs. 
where you can like play as a character for as long as you want like kind of be in the world so yeah, I think... it kind of like pushes me to get out of my comfort zone because yeah i have a degree in theater i've had that ba- baby for four years now but i'm very bad at improving, and that's just because <laughs> i always overthink things and so I ha- I've been trying to get better and not just being like, I need to overthink. <laughs> just, I'm just like, just go with it and everything will be okay. Do you see D&D as like a tool um, to help uh, improve your acting? I do. Because it... I have to kind of figure out how I want each character their like their mind like their thought process to be like for example for flutter echo she's very she knows what she she wants and who she is but she's also hiding that part of her so it's gonna be one of those challenges where like unless she's really upset i have to just play like i'm a blank slate and that i don't have emotions because that's how i feel like she is she doesn't want anyone to find out the real her. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I I could see it working as a, like an improvis. Uh, I can never say this word improvisation tool. <laughs> I, I don't know why I can't say that word. Improv. <laughs> but yeah. What's up, Mark? Hey, what up, man? What up, peeps? Hi. Not much. What's going on, bud? Not too much. Just uh, wanted to pop in. I heard you guys are doing interviews today, so. Yeah. Do you have any questions for them? Um, I didn't have anything specifically prepared or anything. Um. Do you have any idea what path barbarian you might be going with a uh, Gregor? Yes, give me 30 seconds. I had it up and then I closed it. And so now I am going to grab it once again. If I can actually get my phone working. My computer was dead. My phone's <laughs> like uh, it, it's been a it's been a like a, a rough 30 minutes since I walked in the door. <laughs> Edit character. I'll Did you pick a druid it. circle, Lonnie? Um, I have a friend at work <laughs> that plays a druid, and he was like, "You should look into Circle of the Moon." And I was like, "Cool." So right now, I'm currently looking up different druid circles. <laughs> Which one? I like. Yeah, we have some time, obviously, but I was just curious. I'm going. I'm actually going. Pure dwarf, and I'm going battle rager. Oh, sick! That's with the armor, right? Yes, yeah. That's that's kind of the path that his father was, or is, depending on how the DM's going to play that, because nobody knows whatever became of Gridar's father. So, I'm going to go straight battle rager, trying to follow in his father's footsteps, and pretty much just traveling the country or the plains looking for his father. Mountaindorf or Hildorf? Hildorf. Oh, good question. I forgot to ask. <laughs> Very good question. <laughs> I think. 
I'm leaning towards either circle of the moon or circle of dreams of the dreams. Hmm. I don't play dreams. <laughs> moon is like the shapeshifter one, right? Mm-hmm. That seems to be the most popular one, I think. My friend described it. He was like, he's like, because you can wild shape and spiders. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he, was, he was telling me about his game and he was like, I just... I just conjure up eight spiders at a time and just throw them at people. <laughs> <laughs> and spiders. And, and spiders. spiders. <laughs> it is a fun class. All right, so before I jump into the interview with our DM, Brandon, I'm going to include a set of written responses from our eighth and final player, Ryan, who uh, unfortunately is not feeling well this week and we couldn't get him into the episode zero recording, but don't worry, he will be around um, episode one, of course, and he also can be heard on the little sneak preview we put out where he's joking about his mouse um, Logitech. Funny guy, we love Ryan. Uh, sad that he couldn't be here this week, but I will definitely include his written responses before we wrap this episode up with Brandon. But here is Ryan's response. I asked, what is your character's name and how did you come up with it? He says, Lorzerin. And he used a random generator and liked it. So, fair enough. Uh, what is your character's class and why did you choose that? He says fighter, Echo Knight, and it fits the character's theme backstory. What is your character's race, and why did you choose that? Reborn. Uh, It's a new race and lineage, so he wanted to try it out. I created a character idea from it, which led to this class. Very unique uh, lineage because it allows for surprises down the road, which I could not agree more. I believe Reborn is part of the Tasha's lineage thing, but I could be wrong about that. Um, Anyway, what is your character's background and activities before the start of the adventure? In general, he's a Reborn who only knew fighting. He remembers very little of his previous life. His strongest memories are of him fighting others in the streets to survive. Alright, so it sounds like Milo is going to like him. A few of the other scrappy characters are going to like him. Definitely a very interesting character. And we look forward to hearing from you. And we hope you uh, get better, Ryan. Um, Alright, so last but not least, we are here with our Dungeon Master, Brandon. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing alright. Just finished up another game and I am ready to answer some questions. That's good. All right. So um, let's talk about your experience uh, with being a dungeon master or game master. Or storyteller or what's it? MC, I think some other systems do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, right. I mean, basically, like my I've been designated D&D as long as I've been playing D&D because I was always, I don't know, my dad tossed the the third edition like 3.0 handbooks into my room and like maybe you can do something with this junk right and throws it in my room there's 
I didn't quite understand at the time, but like that was like the second edition, like holdouts, like the 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 I don't want to say the the original edition wars because I'm sure the exact same thing happened in like original D and D, but that was kind of my glimpse into that world. So I got these books, and I was like, what is all of this? Um. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately loved it. It was like well, I got my friends together, and we started basically like I think I was like in sixth or seventh grade. So my my original campaign was kind of a riff on like Ronin Warriors and stuff like that. It was real. I mean, it's exactly what you would expect like a seventh or eighth grader like putting out as like their first campaign. Um, and I mean, from there it was all high school D and D was really weird. Like we had a lot of fun. But I don't think like, like I look back on there and it's like, oh, I don't tell, I don't want to know what I was running back then. Um, and then I don't know. From there it was a lot of World of Darkness, uh, just as an alternative game game style, right? And so like, um, Werewolf the Forsaken and uh, Vampire the Requiem or Masquerade, mm -hmm. Masquerade and Requiem, because it was actually about the time we got into it was the time they had that little world of darkness like version change um i was a huge fourth edition fanboy when as fourth edition first came out um but didn't stay with it for very long as as it kind of like mentally set in of like what i wanted out of a game and uh transitioned over to pathfinder where i, I ran pathfinder adventure paths straight for like 10 years um we ran probably two a year and pathfinder adventure Paths. so there's just so much pathfinder content and then probably in about 2018 i went off the rails in a different direction and started doing uh powered by the apocalypse cypher system and a bunch of other other things and that's i think that 2018 phase of like moving out of path kind of around the time pathfinder second edition was coming out was like what else is on the market and now i've got like this mental resistance to feeling locked into systems so i try to like move around a lot uh, just just because you start to realize like how the systems constrain the mind so i don't know if that's <laughs> going too much into it but this is my experience like doing like too much like so much D, &D is this is actually like widen it out um so yeah, I'm really happy. Like, obviously, we're doing D and D fifth edition. This is actually the first I've really done any fifth edition, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not super disappointed at all, I, and I'm really happy, y'all. Like, the conceit here was okay. I'll do Dungeons and Dragons, but we're gonna do Planescape, and it's perfect. Now, with being a dungeon master, uh, certainly there's a lot of prep involved. Uh, I've done a lot myself as far as DMing, and sometimes it's like. It's you almost spend as much time prepping as you do playing, and uh, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about your process with uh, prep. Sure, and man, so with heavy systems like Dungeons and Dragons, there can be a lot of mathematical prep, right? Um, I try to lean out of that. Honestly, I like to get um, oh, okay. This is about like. This is probably the toughest kind of power level creature I can throw. And that was kind of me filling out with like in our, our little sneak peek, like I threw a giant at y'all. Like it's like CR5 against a bunch of level ones. Just to see like, okay, how does this actually play out? And it ends up not being a whole lot different than like third edition. So 
I really dislike the mathematical prep of all of that. So what I try to do is I try to get, what are they like, um, mile marker, not mile marker, high water marks for different power levels, um, basically like what resources they spend. Um, and then kind of just reskin a lot of that because my, my ideal prep is thinking through the stories of both like the plot I want to have as a main plot and then the character plots and the way I can weave in those character stories. Like I, my favorite and my most challenging, sorry, my favorite and most challenging prep is, is really just weaving those stories together. And I would like it when the mechanics, I can just, oh, okay, yeah. And here's mechanics. And it's just kind of like saran wraps over the story that I've already thought through. So most of, most of all of my prep is, it's not like VTT specific prep because I like to do, I like pull up Photoshop or even After Effects sometimes mm-hmm. and do specific things in, in all of that. And that's a different type of prep. Uh, but as far as like actual tabletop prep, my style is story and then get as much rules as is minimally needed to go in to, to tell the rest of that story. And even give, I don't want to give way because the, the, I don't want to like denounce like system mastery and things like that. Like if you have like, but rather like, I don't want to focus on like, oh, okay. Does this thing have, okay. This thing has an attack bonus of a basic attack bonus of two. It's strength score is like three. Okay. Sorry. It has a plus seven, not a plus six or something like that. Like I, that's not fun or interesting. And that's actually what has scared me away. But honestly, fifth edition has been really good. So, um, I don't know, I guess, I hope I've answered that question. Like I really like my prep style is figuring out the story, getting some maps together and then throwing around the bare minimum mechanics to actually execute that. And cause I don't like to focus on that. I don't want to, I don't want to have like a two hour session of just basically spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's understandable. I mean, I went through the same process with fifth edition. I mean, it, I started out being very worried about encounter balance and doing the math side of it as well and being very nervous that my players were were going to be mad that an encounter was too hard or disappointed that it was too easy and i found that um it's it basically doesn't matter that much as long as you're not like uh tpking or you know uh making everything a cakewalk they're not going to be too worried about it Unless you have those players that are like power gamers and they know the CR of everything in the monster manual. I mean, um, everyone else <laughs> is just going to be um, enjoying the, the fight and enjoying the rest of the uh, story. Right. But, um, and so, I, and I, sorry, go ahead. I want to like hit on that. like and, and kind of like the ways you can play with that. Or are things that like the cipher system has taught me like GM intrusions, which are a codified thing, cipher system, which is basically at any time that the GM would be like GM intrusion. And it's like something crazy happens and you can't do anything about it. It's like, why does this explicitly need to exist in this system? <laughs> and, and so it's like, uh, <laughs> it, like you're fighting that giant and I'm like, okay. And the giant, he starts looking around, like his turn comes in initiative and be like, he starts looking around. 
oh crap, he realizes he doesn't fit through these things. He's gonna try and like squeeze through, and I'm gonna make him roll like a proficient dexterity thing, whatever. Cool, he fails. Um, boom, he plops to the ground, right? And those are things that you can do in there that make the scene interesting, kind of mitigate the potentially imbalanced thing I might have thrown at you, but also isn't just me giving you like, oh, behind the DM screen, oh shoot, he rolled that one or something like that, right? Like, um, or or even in like Powered by the Apocalypse and like leaning into successes and leaning into failures, um, pulling a lot of those sorts of things in there so that. I don't have to be stressed about balance all the time because I think you hit it right there. It's like, oh crap, did I structure this too hard or anything like that? Oh, right. I have all these tools from all these other games and stuff that I can bring in to, you know what? Balance doesn't really matter. So what? You're going against a giant. It'll probably work out. It might not, but uh, we'll definitely have a good story in the end. Absolutely. I, I really liked uh, the Dungeon World book uh, by Powered by the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, so f as far as the three pillar approach um, as, that are um, exploration, combat, and social interaction, are you familiar with the three pillar approach? I am not. Actually. Okay. Um, well, yeah. So it's basically um, the theory that any good like D and D session or D and D adventure should should contain those three things: exploration combat inter interaction um okay do yeah. you have a, a preferred one of the three or one that you lean into like i i guess more like the classic do you like to role play or combat or uh, have story more uh your focus uh it's definitely social interaction and exploration and like if my characters are looking for a way to not have a combat, I, I generally will do everything in my power to enable that, right? Um, a lot of times like adventures can feel like you're forced into like a combat round. So yeah, as people are like, we're sneaking around or like we're doing like Scooby-Doo research or something like that, like, cool, I'm gonna lean into that. Let's make this as interesting as possible and reward um, kind of those, those non-combative behaviors. I hope that's, like, you asked me, like, what my favorite one is, and I just kind of just told you, like, uh, anything that's not combat, typically. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's actually just how my brain works, because a lot of times, like, that combat stuff can turn into a slog, and you're just 30 minutes sitting there talking about uh, swinging, making a basic attack against the bad guy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do have a side of me that is, like, a 40k or Warhammer player that, like, wants to have the a pitched battle and have interesting tactics to use on the board but i definitely recognize that after a certain amount of time like if combat goes for like an hour you know i mean then then it's too much you know i exactly and and then it's but if it's like a quick combat with like three guards is it even interesting right um, and so that's i would i would change those pillars I would say, obviously, like, exploration, which is, like, uncovering mysteries. Whether you're, like, what's behind that door or who stabbed that dude last night, uh, right? You have that, like, solving mm -hmm. of mystery. So that's adventuring. You have social interaction, which is absolutely, like, NPCs and interacting and injecting those characters, which is just critical, honestly, in, part, in all those other parts. Like, if you're just fighting nameless guards versus, like, 
Oh, yeah, it's Henry. He's here on Tuesday nights because uh, he works at the bar during the day as a bouncer. Like, it's a different face of, like, the, like, yeah, I feel like that social interaction is an, ex like, you don't have, like, oh, this is an adventure set part of the game, and this is a social interaction. I think it's, like, it's constant, all th all of those things. And, and I would change the combat pillar to not be combat, but opposition, right? And because then it's suddenly... Oh, okay, you're playing cat and mouse with the investigator, the constabulary in, in town is, is after you. You're not fighting them, but you're being opposed by them actively, right? And you maybe even comes down to die. So I think that's my view on those pillars as like presented. I would change them a bit, right? I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so do you get a chance to play very often? And if so, what type of characters do you make? Oh, man. Um, so I play in our weekly game my friend Roy runs. It's a, right now we're doing Dungeon World. I tend to make... Man, flawed characters, I guess is the right way to say that. Like, this character, like, right now is, like, a little bit Tony Stark and a little bit, um, like, Gundam antagonist. Um, the mechanic is a, it's a kind of a Dungeon World playbook is, that I'm playing. Um... Man, I like to enable, <laughs> I like to like set things up to go wrong, do like intention intentionally like half harebrained schemes. I, I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> like, you don't think, I don't think that's going to work. I'm like, yeah, no, he, he's, he's, com my character's completely wrong about this, but I'm going to like, let's lean into it. He's, <laughs> it's okay for my character to be wrong or it's. He's going to fail at this. Um, this, this is that's that's why I want to do it because I want to see how he reacts to the failure. That sort of thing. How do you feel about um, railroading as a DM? It's challenging. Um, there are it can be really boring as a player to like have the feeling that none of your choices matter. It's kind of like in like certain like MMOs and even like just RPG games where it's like they give you like the illusion of choice. You have all these dialogue options and then it doesn't change a dang thing when you go through it. That's what railroading can feel like. What it, what it is trying to achieve though is like a, a, a GM a storyteller has like an idea of the story that they want to tell and they're going to tell that story and it can be done in an okay way. It can be done in a really good way where it is like no there's these like world shaking events that are happening what do you do about them oh y'all go open a bakery cool well those things are still happening here's how they impact your bakery right um yeah it's about framing it in a way that the players and the coordinators of the game mutually agree on like so so when it's bad, it's because there was a miscommunication on the game that wants to be played and the game mm -hmm. that the storyteller wants to tell, right? Um, and, and kind of having both aspects of that be flexible is important. And that, that comes down to like, no, like there's this big thing and it's going to be a tsunami and it's going to hit the city. Oh man, that was the fever dream like that the player has. I don't know. It's like, okay, I need to go talk to someone about this thing. Or it's like, no, I'm going to make sure that my bakery is able to sustain a tsunami or something like that. I don't know. Like, that, that's getting kind of contrived, but you get the idea. It's like, <laughs> yeah. 
like make it relevant to them still tell the same story but you're going to have to render it in a way that that's how i if i have to do railroading that's how i would intend to do it and in fact this is kind of like in our game like i have the story i want to tell i can see how distractions might happen so here's how i'm going to like rein it back in to make sure that it maintains relevancy yeah that, that makes sense i mean i it's something that i have um sort of struggled with as a dm not necessarily um that i have a habit of railroading my uh players but just what to do with all the ideas i have for what should happen um in the background you know and mm -hmm. i think the way that you put it uh with the tsunami in the bakery is like uh, is perfect you know you i tend to develop like a kind of an outline of what's going to happen politically or whatever in in the world and then it's up to the players how, how they're going to react to that because uh, i found that if you don't give them anything you know if you don't give them some kind of you know, some players need like almost a doomsday clock or something in order to, in order to get up and do something. Um, mm -hmm. It 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 can be frustrating at times the way parties will almost accomplish nothing unless you have like a carrot in front of them. I hate to say, like a carrot and a stick. You know, it's like, well, here's what's gonna happen if you don't, you know, uh, do anything about this ticking time bomb. And then it's up to them whether or not they really want to do anything about it. Ultimately, I mean, you can't force them to go down a certain path, but you have to give them something to latch on to or something to do, essentially. And so it's kind of like a weird um, balance that you yeah. have to strike. Absolutely. Like, I don't know. I, I keep going back to, like, engage them on the level that they've determined to be engaged on right going back to the like the tsunami and the bakery type thing where it's like oh yeah some like evil like cult is like praying for the tsunami type uh, they're trying to bring about the tsunami or something like that and it's like well actually uh your bake sales are kind of going down it seems like there's like um a new religion in town that's like de determined that baked goods are sinful and a waste of time um, and that they're actually kind of going more to kelp crisps or something like that, right? Like something ridiculous, <laughs> like meeting the ridiculousness that they are raising with your own counter ridiculousness that like meets it. Because it is kind of silly, but also like they just opened a bakery, like they're being silly. So now we're, we're able to, to, to communicate. Because now it's like, what are these dang kelp kiss? Who eats, who eats that? And then now I've got their attention. And now I like, even like they have like the suave, like, help fryer who who lives down at the docks and like seems like this entire place is creepy but everyone seems enchanted by these crisps or something like 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 you can just roll all of that in that's awesome <laughs> right that's like, such a good response <laughs> um so how do you feel about any of the um other taboos such as the uh the dmpc are you, are you familiar with what that is I am. That's where this was. I was so guilty of this in like my early games. I talked about like us doing like D and D, like as Ronin warriors, rip offs and stuff. I absolutely yeah. like made a DMPC and just rolled with all of that. I mean, nowadays it's basically like mentally taking a DMPC and like translating that into no that that love or that passion I feel for that specific character. No, build that into kind of 
all of them or even separate out parts of that like edgy cool character and then oh okay and this like suave other character and like build them into I don't want to say antagonist like as meant as like into antagonist within the thing but that's not necessarily the case like build them into just questionable NPCs that may be antagonists one day or maybe helpers the the next just depending on the situation you keep them dynamic like real people like basically I guess sit channel what you want from a DMPC and like break it apart and then build that into just actual NPCs that aren't necessarily helping the party right unless you unless you're like in a, like a two-person group and you need like a third character in there to really even out it from a like a mechanical standpoint that's at that point yeah DMPC makes sense but if it's like yeah like me, I had a character named Druk that I would insert into every single campaign. There was always a groan when like Druk would show up. <laughs> uh, um, and so like it is a meme and it affected like to this day, like in fantasy games, I'll make Druk as like my character and like friends who have been playing with me that long will still to this day like, oh, of course. I hope you put him in this campaign at some point. He should make a cameo. I, I mean, in the infinite primes that there are, I'm sure I can introduce him at least once. So do you have like a, um, maybe like a elevator pitch, I guess, for this um, campaign or thoughts on what we should expect or are you not wanting to give away too much? I have learned this from Cypher System and Dungeon World where it is, don't plan too much. Like get a high level plan of like who the bad guys are and what they want to do. Don't nail anything down because you don't know what the characters are going to do. And this is also my, like, my mental way of like keeping me from railroading or or really because I'm kind of opposed to the idea of railroading, like keeping me from getting discouraged because y'all killed someone at the wrong time or something like that. So to answer your question, the, the pitch. I think what I, I did it off the cuff the other night when we were doing the other, the other interview or uh -huh. we were doing the QA where I was like, Something, something, Shanghai, uh, you know, severed foot of a dead god, and a donut city, right? Like that. That's it. Those are those are your. <laughs> oh, that's it. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and some of those mean different things based on what you know about, like the landscape setting and and all of that sort of thing. Because I am actually saying some things that are that are kind of provocative, but. They're kind of contextual as well. Anything else you want to add? Any uh, any random thoughts before before we wind down and and head out? No, I'm just really looking forward to to running this. I've wanted to run a Planescape game forever, but I, whenever I gave up kind of doing just D and D stuff, I thought I would never get the chance. So now that I'm back in the D and D saddle, I'm really excited to like. Okay, now it's time to do some Planescape. So I'm happy to be here and happy that y'all thought to ask me to run. All right. I'm looking forward to it too, man. I will see you in a few days. Tuesday. See you Tuesday, dude. Thank you.